Hello, Dr. Deanne Ross here. I'm the love theorist. I thought on the 31st day of December 2022 was an opportune time to take a book from my bookshelf and share it with you. It's one of my favourite books. I wish I listened to the words more and practised the words more. And one of the reasons I'm wanting to share it with you today is also with the year closing, one of the most influential Buddhist practitioners on the planet passed away this year. You may be aware of him, Thich Nhat Hanh, um, a Vietnamese Buddhist monk who in the latter part of his life lived in a, a practicing Buddhist village at Plumwood in France. And I just think because he's had a big influence on my life, um, I thought with the year ending, him passing this year, the incredible international reverence shown to him and the significance of how he translated Buddhist ideas into everyday language for people in Western countries is is of such import. I thought it was a really special way to close the year, to help me become mindful again of the importance of what he calls true love and to wish that for you, that you know true love um, in your life. So I have several books on my bookshelf of Thich Nhat Hines. The one I'm working on um, sharing with you is a teeny little book. It's a hardback one of version I've got called True Love, A Practice for Awakening the Heart. Uh, before I say some more about the book, I just want to say that obviously Buddhism is one of the big religions of the world and People will have their own religious beliefs. I'm not in any way wanting to put any pressure on you about how you believe. Um, I'm more being um, pragmatic in a way in terms of what what are the books on my bookshelf, how have they influenced me, which will come through in my other work, in my other podcasts with you, uh, rather than saying Buddhism is the only way yeah, I don't actually believe that. Uh, even though I've been strongly influenced by Buddhism, I've actually been influenced by other religious practices and ideas as well. Um, and I do, though, uh, believe in a higher good, a higher being. I don't see that as an individual human being. I think, and I think spirituality is a really big part of life, um, whether we recognize it or not, or have different names for it or, or not. So just wanted to make that prefacing comment so that you don't feel put upon by me speaking um, about an author who is a practicing Buddhist, a rec internationally recognized practicing Buddhist. So coming back to the particular book, as I was saying, it's True Love, A Practice for Awakening the Heart. And it was published in 1997 by Shambhala Publishing. And I thought the, the most um coherent way, I guess, of saying a little bit about Thich Nhat Hanh is to read the inside leaf of the book. And so on the back section, uh, it says Thich Nhat Hanh, a Vietnamese Zen Buddhist monk, is an internationally known author, poet, scholar, and peace activist who was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize by Martin Luther King Jr. He's the author of numerous books, including Peace is Every Step and The Miracle of Mindfulness. He has founded monastic communities in France, Vermont and California and until this year teaches, practices and teaches actively um, around the world. Um, one of, just a little um, 
comment, I guess. I do I do remember Tignat Han's influence coming to me in different ways uh, through my life. And one particular influence was uh, when I was really trying to grapple with what what is my spirituality. And at that time, which is now 20, maybe even 30 years ago, in my 30s, I actually was really mulling it, searching for answers in a more persistent way than I have at other times in my life. Uh, what, what, was, what brought me to Thich Nhat Hanh was being aware of Martin Luther King because my social work background and the influence of activists um, in social work ideas and practices. Uh, what, what really caught my attention uh, was uh, Martin Luther King's recognition of Thich Nhat Hanh and that becoming um, widespread news at the time and what I looked in a little bit to what was the basis for Martin Luther King recommending Thich Nhat Hanh for a Peace Prize, Nobel Peace Prize and it was because during the Vietnam War which of course my country Australia was heavily implicated in um, being part of uh, Thich Nhat Hanh travelled the world and actually and, and talked to senior politicians and military about the harm that was being done to his people, and he was seen to be very significant in the the protest movements that arose around that time against what foreign countries um, like Australia, the the harm on top of harm that was being caused. So I became very aware of him at that time as a peace activist and then went and looked further into his teachings and and writing. Okay, so that's what's on the back section of the book cover. On, on the front section it says this, in this little treasure, Tignat Han, the renowned Zen monk, offers timeless insight into the nature of real love. With simplicity, warmth and directness, he explores the four key concepts of love as described in the Buddhist tradition. Those four t- types of love, aspects to love, um, he identifies as loving kindness, compassion, joy and freedom. I really like that. I really like this idea of love being about loving kindness, compassion, joy, and freedom. Explaining how to experience them in our day-to-day lives, he also emphasizes that in order to love in a real way, we must first learn how to be fully present in our lives, and he offers simple techniques from the Buddhist tradition that anyone can use to establish the conditions of love. True love features a transformative practice for generating love that consists of expressing four key intentions in our relationships. These key intentions are, Dear one, I am really here for you. Dear one, I know that you are here. And it makes me very happy. Dear one, I know that you are suffering and that is why I am here for you. And dear one, I'm suffering, please help me. In true love, Thich Han also stirringly explains how we can bring love to bear on our own pain, fear and negativity. And another caveat, as I turn to the first section I want to read to you, is uh, it's deceptively simple, the Buddhist idea of, and it's not only the Buddhist idea, but the definitely very it's very central to buddhist uh, religious practice of mindfulness Um, and for many years i have had a complex relationship with the importance of mindfulness 
in my day-to-day life. So I read with much humility and continue to remember and remind myself as I read of the importance of these ideas as not just ideas, but practices that need to actually be practiced. Speaking to myself, no pressure to you. So the first little chapter is quite brief and actually very pertinent, so I thought I would read it to you. I hope, hope you find it interesting. It's called The Four Aspects of Love. According to Buddhism, there are four elements of true love. The first is Maitri, which is spelled M-A-I-T-R-I, which can be translated as loving kindness or benevolence. Loving kindness is not only the desire to make someone happy, to bring joy to a beloved person. It is the ability to bring joy and happiness to the person you love. Because even if your intention is to love this person, your love might make him or her suffer. So I'm using language as Thich Nhat Hanh uses it, and he uses um, just two two concepts to describe genders, um, him and her. And I will use his language, but recognize the diversity of genders. Uh, the other aspect, just another pause um, as we proceed into the chapter, is to say that uh, It's very hard to read this chapter without wanting to qualify and add to it um, uh, if we can just read it for what it is and at different points and at other times we can talk more about the complexities and challenges of what he's talking about. So just continuing now on page two. Training is needed in order to love properly and to be able to give happiness and joy. You must practice deep looking directed toward the person you love. Because if you do not understand this person, you cannot love properly. Understanding is the essence of love. If you cannot understand, you cannot love. That is the message of the Buddha. If a husband, for example, does not understand his wife's deepest troubles, her deepest aspirations, if he does not understand her suffering, he will not be able to love her in the right way. Without understanding, love is an impossible thing. What what must we do in order to understand a person? We must have time. We must practice looking deeply into this person. We must be there, attentive. We must observe. We must look deeply. And the fruit of this looking deeply is called understanding. Love is a true thing if it is made up of a substance called understanding. The second element of true love is compassion. Karuna, K-R-U-N-A. This is not only the desire to ease the pain of another person, but the ability to do so. You must practice deep looking in order to have a good understanding of the nature of the suffering of this person, in order to be able to help him or her to change. Knowledge and understanding are always at the root of the practice. The practice of understanding is the practice of meditation. To meditate is to look deeply into the heart of things. The third element of true love is joy, madita, M-U-D-I-T-A. If there is no joy in love, it is not true love. If you are suffering all the time, if you cry all the time, and if you make the person you love cry, this is not really love, it is even the opposite. If there's no joy in your love, you can be sure that it is not true love. The fourth element is 
Iksha, U-P-E-K-S-H-A, equanimity or freedom. In true love, you you attain freedom. When you love, you bring freedom to the person you love. If the opposite is true, it is not true love. You must love in such a way that the person you love feels free, not only outside but also inside. Dear one, do you have enough space in your heart and all around you? This is an intelligent question for testing out whether your love is something real. So that's that first little chapter on the four ingredients of love, um, identified as loving kindness, compassion, joy and freedom. I wanted to read segments of the next chapter called Love is Being There because I think it's really, really impactful for me and it may be interesting for you. To love in the context of Buddhism, I'm obviously reading Thich Nhat Hanh again here, is above all to be there. But being there is not an easy thing to do. Some training is necessary, some practice. If you are not there, how can you love? Being there is very much an art, the art of meditation, because meditating is bringing your true presence to the here and now. The question that arises is, do you have time to love? find this an incredibly confronting question, um, one that has perplexed and troubled me when I have a value of loving and being being relevant and of substance to people. Um, and then this question, do I have time to love, actually caused me to be humble. There's a story here which might be worth anchoring this concept of having uh, lovers being there and giving time to be there for someone. So the Buddha the Buddha's very well known for teaching by telling stories, and Thich Nhat Hanh is very similar. This is on page six. I'll just read the story. I know a boy of 12 whose father asked him one day, son, what would you like for your birthday present? The boy did not know how to answer his father, who was a very rich man, able to buy anything for his son. But the boy did not want anything except his father's presence because the role the father played kept him very busy and he didn't have time to devote to his wife and children. Being rich is an obstacle to loving. When you are rich, you want to continue to be rich and so you end up devoting all your time, all your energy in your daily life to staying rich. If the father were to understand what true love is, he would do whatever is necessary to find time for his son and his wife. The most precious gift you can give to the one you love is your true presence. What must we do to really be there? Those who have practiced Buddhist meditation know that meditating is above all being present to yourself, to those you love, to life. There's a section of the chapter where Thich Nhat Hanh describes how to to meditate um, on the inward and outward breath and that the purpose is to be focused and bring your attention to your breath to help align your mind and body before you engage in a loving action or an intention of a loving action. I won't read that out in detail. We come back to that at a different point in the podcast series I'm creating where we look at ways ways to be um, revolutionary love. Um, I really do think the ability to bring yourself to a calm 
presence so that you can be there, as he says, for others as absolutely central and critical. And actually being there for yourself is part of that. Okay, so let me just catch a little bit later on in that chapter. Um, where he continues with the story about the father and the son. If the father I was talking about had known that the importance of practicing breath to become present um, and to make time, he would have begun to breathe in and out mindfully. And then one or two minutes later, he would have approached his son. He would have looked at him with a smile and he would have said, my dear one, I am here for you. This is the greatest gift you can give to another one, person whom you love. So this this mantra um, in English, um, obviously translated from Sanskrit, dear one, I'm here for you, is really important for practicing the willingness to be present with others. And he goes on to ask, Do you have enough time to love? Can you make sure that in your everyday life you have a little time to love? We do not have much time together. We are too busy. In the morning when eating breakfast, we do not look at the person we love. We do not have enough time for it. We eat very quickly while thinking about other things and sometimes we even hold a newspaper that hides the face of the person we love. In the evening when we come home, we are too tired to be able to look at the person we love. We must bring about a revolution in our way of living our everyday lives because our happiness, our lives, are within ourselves. So I hope you got something interesting from listening to that, something of value to you, certainly bringing me back to an awareness of the importance of being present when I'm with somebody um, and with animals, other animals, and with nature. So the next chapter that I'd like to share with you by Thich Nhat Hanh is uh, recognising the presence of the other. When you're really there, you have the ability to recognise the presence of the other. To be there is the first step, which we were just talking about, and recognising the presence of the other is the second step. To love is to be, to be loved is to be recognised by the other. If you love someone and you continue to ignore him or her presence, his or her presence, this is not true love. Perhaps your intention is not to ignore this person, but the way you act, look and speak does not manifest the desire to recognise the presence of the other. When we are loved, we wish the the other to recognise our presence, and this is very important practice. You must do whatever is necessary to be able to do this. Recognise the presence of the person you love several times each day. Again, to attain this goal, it is necessary to practise oneness of mind and body. The mantra that we practice our intention with is do one. I know that you are here and it makes me very happy. If you practice mindfulness with this mantra in this way, with a lot of concentration, you will see that this person will open immediately like a flower blossoming. To be loved is to be recognised and you can do that several times a day. It is not difficult at all and it is true meditation. 
is coming across a couple of pages. Page 16, the Buddha told us this, the past is no longer there, the future is not here yet. There is only one moment in which life is available, and that is the present moment. To meditate is to bring body and mind back to the present moment so that you do not miss your appointment with life. I really like that idea of the gift of being present is life. Okay, so just looking a little bit further, um, he says quite a bit in this chapter about the practice of meditation, which, as I said, we'll come back to. Um, I'm just seeing there's a story here whether that's, Oh, he actually talks about somebody who was in prison who actually for the first time in their life, and I think they were um, not likely to leave prison, he'd been condemned to, to death. This is talking about a novel by Albert Camus, The Stranger. Um, and there was a little crack in the ceiling of the prison block where this person was. And for the very first time, he actually was able to see and feel the sky for real. And and Tignat Han goes on. Of course, he had looked at the stars and the blue sky more than once, but this time it was for real. We might not know how to touch the blue sky in such a profound way. The moment of awareness Canvas describes is mindfulness. Suddenly, you are able to touch life. Okay. When you practice this mantra of recognising the other, being present for the other, you're going to practice recognising the presence of the person you love. Dear one, I know that you are there and it makes me very happy. This is real meditation. In this particular meditation, all at once there is love, compassion, joy and freedom, the four constituents of the true love of which the Buddha speaks. Okay, so that was on recognising the presence of the other. This one, um, this chapter is on being there when someone is suffering. The third mantra is used in circumstances in which the person you love is suffering. When you are living mindfully, you know what is happening in your situation in the present moment. Therefore, it is easy for you to notice when the person you love is suffering. At such a time, you go to him or her with your body and mind unified with concentration, and you utter the third mantra. Dear one, I know you are suffering. That is why I'm here for you. Because when we are suffering, we have a strong need for the presence of the person we love. If we are suffering and the man or woman we love ignores us, then we suffer more. So what can we do? Right away is to manifest our true presence to the beloved person and say the mantra with all our mindfulness. Dear one, I know that you are suffering. That is why I'm here for you. Even before you actually do something to help, the person you love is relieved. Your presence is a miracle. Your understanding of his or her pain is a miracle and you're able to offer this aspect of your love immediately. Really try to be there for yourself, for life, for the people that you love. Recognise the presence of those who live in the same place as you and try to be there when one of them is suffering because your presence is so precious for this person. In this way, you'll be practising love 24 hours a day. I have found 
so much strength in the ideas of what what Thich Han is saying in my practice as a social worker, but not only. Um, when I haven't known what else to do, when someone sitting before me is so distressed and feeling so hopeless and helpless, um, all I have known to do, all I have been able to do is to be present and be with the person with soft eyes and open heart and let them take the next step once they feel that presence from me. Um, it has been the most important thing I have learned in my whole life in terms of how to be with people in very distressing situations. Okay, now this this next chapter I particularly wanted to um, share with you because it's one that I stumble over a lot and it's called Overcoming Pride. And in this instance, Thich Nhat Hanh is talking about it in terms of being willing to ask for help when we need it and not letting pride get in the way. This is one of the aspects of my sense of who I am that I can trip over. I just want to share it with you in case it has some meaning for you or someone you know. The fourth mantra is more difficult to practice. It has to do with a situation in which you are suffering yourself and you think that your suffering has been created by the person you love most in the world. If it had been someone else who had said that to you or done that to you, without a doubt you would be suffering less. But in this case, it is the person I love most in the world who said that to me, who did that to me, and I am suffering more. I am deeply hurt by the fact that my suffering was caused by the person I love the most. I feel like going to my room, closing the door, staying by myself and crying. I refuse to go to him or her to ask for help. So now it is pride that is the obstacle. According to the teaching of the Buddha, in true love there is no place for pride. If you are suffering, every time you are suffering, you must go to the person in question and ask for his or her help. That is true love. Do not let pride keep you apart. If you think your love is for your love for this person is true love, you must overcome your pride. You must always go to him or her. That is why I have invented this mantra for you. Practice so as to bring about oneness of your body and mind before going to the person to say the fourth mantra. Dear one, I am suffering. Please help me. This is very simple, but very hard to do. And here's another story that I thought it would be really good to share with you because I'm reading it again as I was preparing um, this sharing with you. Um, I, I found it really helpful. Um, so here we go. Uh, I would like to tell you a story from my country. A young man went off to war, leaving his pregnant wife behind. Two years later, he was able to return home, and the young woman went with their young son to meet her husband. They cried together out of joy. In Vietnam, in our tradition, when an event of this kind takes place, it has to be announced to the ancestors. So the young father asked his wife to go to the market to buy the things that are needed for the offering that is placed on the altar to the ancestors. Such an altar is found in each house. Every morning we burn a stick of incense to our ancestors on this altar, and in this way we make a connection with them. Burning this incense, adorning the altar with photographs of our ancestors and dusting the shrine off are very important gestures. These are moments in which we come in contact with our ancestors. 
There are people living in the world who are completely uprooted because they do not practice such a turning toward their ancestors. So the young wife went off to the market. During this time, the young father was trying to convince his child to call him daddy. The little boy refused. Mister, you're not my daddy. My daddy is somebody else. He visits us every night and my mummy talks to him every night. And very often she cries with him. And every time my mummy sits down, he sits down too. Every time she lies down, he lies down too. After he heard these words, the young father's happiness entirely evaporated. His heart turned into a block of ice. He felt hurt, deeply humiliated, and that is why, when his wife came home, he could no no longer look at her or speak a word to her. He ignored her. The woman herself began to suffer. She felt humiliated, hurt. When the offering was placed on the altar, the young father burned the incense, recited the prayers to the ancestors, and did the four traditional prostrations. Then he picked up the mat, instead of leaving it there for his wife, so she could do the four prostrations in her turn. In his mind, he thought that she was not qualified to present herself before the ancestors, and she was humiliated by this. After the ceremony, he didn't stay at the house to eat, but went to the village and spent the day in a bar. He tried to forget his suffering by drinking alcohol, and he did not come back to the house until very late at night. The following day, it was the same thing, and this went on for several days in a row. The young woman could not take it any more. Her suffering was so great that in the end, she threw herself in the river and drowned. When the young father heard this news, he returned to the house, and that night he was the one who went to get the lamp and lit it. Suddenly the child cried out, Mister, mister, it's my daddy, he's come back. And he pointed to the shadow of his father on the wall. You know, mister, my father comes every night. Mummy talks to him, and sometimes she cries, and every time she sits down, my daddy sits down too. In reality, this woman had been alone in the house too much, and every night she had talked to her shadow. My dear one, you are so far away from me. How can I raise my child all by myself? You must come back home soon. She would cry, and of course every time she sat down, the shadow would also sit down. Now the husband's false perception was no longer there, but it was too late. His wife was already dead. A misperception is something that can destroy an entire family. The Buddha told us a number of times that we are subject to misperceptions in our everyday life. Therefore, we have to pay close attention to our perceptions. There are people who hang on to their misperceptions for 20 or 30 years, and during this time, they continue to suffer and make other people suffer. Why did the young father not want to talk this over with his wife? Because pride got in between them. If he had asked his wife, Who is this person who came every night? Our child told me about him. I am suffering so much, my darling. You have to help me. Explain to me who this person is. If he had done that, his wife would have had a chance to explain and the drama could have been avoided. However, it was not only his fault, but that of his young wife as well. She could have come to him and asked him the reasons for his change in attitude. Husband, why don't you look at me any more? Why don't you talk to me? Have I done something awful that I deserve such treatment? I'm suffering so much. Dear husband, you have to help me. 
She did not do this. And I do, do not want you to make the same mistake in your everyday life. We are subject to misperceptions every day, so we have to pay attention. Every time you think it is somebody else who is causing the suffering, you must remember this story. You must always check things out by going to the person in question and asking for his or her help. Dear one, I'm suffering so much. Help me, please. Okay. <laughs> Just the book is um, much bigger than what I'm going to share with you today, but I thought the, the next chapter was really important. Um, it's certainly a practice that I have have been most consistently trying to do all my life and especially in my work, but not only. And it's called deep listening. Um, and this is this is the first opening section of the chapter. You have received the transmission of the four mantras for the practice of true love. You know that it's not difficult to practice these mantras. You should learn them by heart and you must have the courage, the wisdom and the joy to practice them. But if the situation has already become extremely difficult, what can you do? What can you do if love has already caused too much suffering between the two of you? For appearances, you behave so that others will think that you two are still living together and that you still find joy in living together. But in reality, there is no more joy. There is no more happiness. There isn't even communication anymore. You have lost the capacity to listen and to speak. Communication has become difficult, in fact, impossible. What can you do in a situation like this? The two of you, two of you have been living together and making each other suffer. According to Buddhism, we are dealing with Samyana, Samoyana, the lump of suffering within us that is translated as an internal formation. When you say something that makes another person suffer, that person develops an internal formation. If that person is trained in Buddhism, he or she will know how to untie that knot. If not, he or she will let it remain there in the depths of their consciousness. If you are a person who practices mindfulness, you will be aware that a knot has been formed in the person you love and you will know how to untie it. Every day we say or do things that might leave behind internal formations in the person we love. Following that, then the suffering and pain can grow and the person we love turns into something like a bomb that might explode at any moment. A few words are all it takes to trigger anger in this person who you are afraid to approach and who you are afraid to talk to because he or she has become a bomb loaded with too much suffering. When you try, try to get away from him or her, this person thinks that you do so out of contempt and their suffering increases. You also have become a bomb because you have lost the ability to speak the language of peace, of understanding. You have lost the ability to listen, and so all communication has become impossible. In Buddhism, we talk about the bird of Easter, the one who has the ability to listen and, and to understand the suffering of others, and they are called the Avalokiteshvara. If we evoke the, his name, it is in order to listen. It is all in order to learn to listen. In every li everyday life, deep listening, attentive listening is a meditation. If you know the practice of mindful breathing, if you wish to maintain calm and living compassion within you, then deep listening will be possible. 
through the practice of walking meditation, through sitting meditation, through mindful breathing, we can cultivate calm, we can cultivate awareness, and we can cultivate compassion. And that way we'll be able to sit there and listen to the other. The other suffers as long as he or she is in need of someone to listen to them. And you, you are the person who can do it. If someone has to have recourse to a psychotherapist, it is because no one in their house can listen. So if we love someone, we should train in being able to listen. By listening with calm and understanding, we can ease the suffering of another person. An hour spent in this way can already relieve a great deal of another person's pain. One hour of this kind of listening is very effective and is something very precious that can be offered to the person we love. All right. Well, um, hoping that me sharing this these segments of True Love by Thich Nhat Hanh um, has has been interesting. Uh, the poignancy of doing it on the last day of 2020, acknowledging the passing of Thich Nhat Hanh this year, very big loss for the planet. Um, he's a living example of how to how to practice being true love, um, and was very loved because of that. Um, and while we might be really aware of other significant people on the planet's passing this year, if you haven't haven't kind of connected up with and been aware of the celebrations uh, of Thich Nhat Hanh's passing, you might like to look at some of the videos in YouTube. It's very incredible, very clearly the reverence, very clear the reverence with which he was held. Um, and there's something really uplifting to know he has been in the world and he's left behind these kinds of um, books and words that can be really helpful. So. I hope you gained something from listening to this and my wish for you is um, a safe and loving 2023. Thank you so much.